What up, world? It's your past first point guard and trailblazers reporter, Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Thanks for making this show your first listen every day. At least every day there is a show. We are three days a week here through first couple weeks of September, and then we're going to get rolling back five days a week as your only daily trailblazers podcast. But for now, three days a week, typically Monday, Wednesday, Friday, make it your first listen every day. We got a fun show for you today to make it your first listen. Yusuf Nurkic helps Bosnia upset Slovenia. I was able to watch this Eurobasket contest because it came on at a reasonable time. We'll talk all about Nurk's performance, kind of what it might mean, what it looks like, and help us make sense of it heading into the Blazers' season. Portland also added Olivier Saar in an Exhibit 10 deal, bringing him into training camp, likely to compete for their second two-way contract. We'll get to know Saar a little bit and what's ahead for a potential new Blazers big man addition. And finally, we'll close the show talking about best backcourts in the Western Conference. Uh, I saw a view shared by a, a uh, Isaac Harris, host of Locked On Maps. I got a maybe I got a bone to pick, or I got a, I, at least I got something to discuss about best backcourts in the West. Let's start with Nurk, though. Uh, Bosnia coming in was one and one and Nurk had played pretty well in the first game for Bosnia at Euro at Bureau basket. They're in the qualifying stages, the group stages. And then though, if they, uh, can finish high enough in the group, they can advance and beating Slovenia today gives them a real shot, a legitimate shot at, at advancing Uh big upset win for him. But Opening game against Hungary, Nurk played well and they win. Uh, they they lose the second game against host Germany and Nurk just he just wasn't very efficient. Like his numbers were good, but just like not a super efficient night. Mostly just brick and threes, shot shot fine on two pointers, but but uh, not not his best night in a loss. And then game three, his first game I was able to watch. So the other two were um, you know five thirty a.m. Pacific time, and uh, that's that. I love hoops, but I might I might not love hoops 5.30 a.m. tip-off enough, or at least not uh, Eurobasket enough for 5.30 tip-off. If you watch internationally and you watch Blazers and you regularly wake up at 5.30, I'm sorry I'm not as tough as y'all. Uh, I, I applaud the effort. But I was able to watch this game against Slovenia. Um, obviously, the Slovenian team is good. Like, Goran Dragic puts on a Slovenian jersey. He is fantastic. Uh, Luka Doncic was Bad, capital B, bad today, but, you know, was one of the best basketball players in the world. Maybe wasn't anticipated that he would be capital B, bad today. And so I was excited to watch Nurk. Like, I was like, yeah, let's, you know, let's... I'm gonna I'm I'm buckling in. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch my man. And then Nurk struggled. His worst performance so far of Eurobasket goes three of thirteen from the floor. Finished with twelve points, nine boards, four assists, or yeah, excuse me, four assists, three steals, but six turnovers um, in thirty minutes. Three of thirteen from the field, two of nine from three. Probably just took a couple more three pointers than he really needed to. Or excuse me, two of nine from two, one of four from three. Um, uh, he. There was one three late in, in the third quarter that he just he just need, didn't need to take up. Did make his free throws. He's been struggling at the free throw line, and he, he made his free throws in this one. Uh, five of five from the stripe. He played pretty well. This one was was close. Like it was a one point game heading into the fourth quarter. Nurk sat for the first three and a half, four and a half minutes of of the fourth. And then he came in and it was a four point game. And like immediately, Luka Doncic gets a switch on him and gets uh, go, gets up and under, cuts the lead to two. But uh, Bosnia's holding on late. Uh, they come down with under a minute left, two-point game. Slovenia needs one stop to give themselves a chance. Uh, the Bosnia misses, but the rebound bounces along. And in the scramble for the rebound, a Slovenian player grabs the board and falls out of bounds. Bosnia gets the ball back. Slovenia's forced to foul, and they hold on, make their free throws, and hold on and win. This was all about uh, my man John Robertson hit seven threes, Bosnian guard. He, he kind of bailed them out. And Donson Musa had uh, 22 points, five boards, five assists for Bosnia. Nurk, I, I'm not, 
he didn't necessarily get bailed out by his teammates, but late in this game, Bosnia won this game by just making threes. Uh, their offense kind of, I don't know if it's stalled, that's probably not the right word, um, but it was, they were having trouble getting clean looks, and John Robertson hit hit three late threes late, and, and Donza Musa hit another one, and that's why they won this game. They won this game, the strength of three-pointers, Musa was really good, Robertson hit his threes. That's enough for him? Um, like... More than anything, I was watching this game not for like, like selfishly, I wish Nurk had played better, right? I wish I was like uh, all on the Bosnian Beast hype train right now, but he struggled. He just, he struggled in this one. A, a couple thoughts on Nurk's performances and kind of how they work um, in Blazerland, how they translate to Blazerland. Um, offensively, I thought he too often caught the ball too far from the paint. Um, you know, they tried to post him up and in FIBA, you can be more physical. So it's easier to like push guys away from the paint. Um, but he was catching the ball, you know, three to four full steps before he could get feet in the paint. I think he needed to catch deeper. Some of that is the physicality. Some of that is Nurk's fault for kind of just saying, give me the ball. And then like turning around and saying, I'm going to post up here. I need the ball. And then it's just the guard's fault. I, I think the guard play, so the shot making late, but the guard play from Bosnia leaves a little something to be desired in terms of just like getting them into good stuff and finding their, their focal point. Um, you know, maybe if Nurk hadn't struggled so much, like I said, two of nine from two, like if he hadn't struggled so much uh, making two pointers, making shots, he would have had more touches, but like they feed into each other, right? Like I thought he got his catches were a little too far from the rim. You see that in, in the NBA for sure with Nurk is that when he catches deeper, like heels on the paint or heels close to the paint, like he can turn and one power dribble, sh you know, shoulder into you and make a move. Other times it's like, it's easier to send a double because he's farther from the rim. It's easier to flop because he's going to have to bump into you four times. And it's easier to just hold him up. And then Nurk has to shoot flips and hooks and all of those, you know, little touch shots he likes further away from the paint. I thought that was a problem uh on offense they also ran him for the high post and i thought a couple times from the high post he just forced forced a couple passes uh, you know they were in a close game close highly contested game so a couple of the turnovers not necessarily his fault but he had one when he right when he came in in the fourth quarter they run like a horn set and he gets the ball on the right wing and he immediately just looked to throw a lob the lob wasn't there and he forced it and turned the ball over it's like his first touch after sitting for about eight minutes to open the open the quarter six and a half minutes to open the quarter yeah, just like not just bad decision making. Um, there was some Nurk stuff in this game where it was like he had some stuff not go his way and then he tries to force it. He had one in the third quarter where he didn't make a shot inside. He hustled the other way. They got a turnover. They come back and he's like, I'm just going to go. And he bowled a guy over and got an offensive foul. The The patience of Nurk just wasn't totally there today. He struggled as basketball. He struggled. It's not a big deal. But he, he had some issue. On defense, though, I thought, um, I thought this was an interesting look at in, in some ways, the way the Blazers will play, uh, the Bosnia played a kind of brought Nurk up to, on pick and rolls. They brought Nurk up like just below the level of the screen. So he's he's ducking like just below the level screen, like a really a, a barely a drop defense. Like he's, he's just just below the screen level, kind of corral the guy and allow his man to switch kind of uh, more like a drop coverage principles because they're not trying to switch and they're not trying to hedge super hard and show to the ball. But it's enough to corral show on pick and rolls like it's, he for sure is showing on a pick and roll and then recovering. I would like to see the Blazers do this more. I think sometimes the Blazers late in the season conceded the switch too much. When the Bosnia conceded a switch late in this game, Luka Doncic got the switch he wanted, which was Nurk, and took him to took him to work. Like, it's not a problem that you that Yusuf Nurkic can't guard Luka Doncic on the perimeter. That is not like a big deal. You just want to avoid it schematically. You just want to avoid it. Um, so, to me, I liked the way Bosnia had that kind of like 
show soft show and recover defense. I think that is a good way to use Nurk. What he wants to do is he want he doesn't want to play drop all the time. Like Nurk wants to be aggressive and show a little bit and get up in ball handlers and use his fast hands. Like he has really good hands. Um, sometimes his feet are too slow, but he has good hands on defense. He's a, he's a good like he has a high steal rate for a center, and he wants to be involved in those pick and roll actions so he can use that high steal rate. But just like a straight up switch or trying to double team and recover doesn't maximize what Nurk does well because what Nurk does well is be gigantic and in the paint. Late in this game, Bosnia went to zone, uh, particularly when Nurk was on the bench, but he, they played a little bit of zone when he came back too. That's what the Blazers are going to do, right? They're going to play a bunch of zone this year. They're going to play aggressive defense. They're going to not let Nurk be in like a deep drop. Um, all of that, I thought he looked pretty good on defense. Like Luka Doncic was 0 for 8 from 3 and only got to the free throw, free throw line one time in this game. That matters. Like the Bosnia won this game on hot shooting and good defense. They did not let, when Slovenia had, you know, down four with three and a half minutes left, needed to win the final three and a half minutes by five, they didn't do it. And they, they kept Luka out of the paint with their zone defense. They kept Luka out of the paint by loading up against him. Uh, they did a really nice job defensively, and Nurk was part of that defensive approach, to be certain. Uh, yeah, I, I wish Nurk had played a little better so we could celebrate it here, but such is life. There's two more games remaining for Bosnia in the uh, in the qualifying rounds, and we will talk about Nurk's performances after those. Big, big, big win for Bosnia. Put themselves in position to advance. Um, even if Nurk struggled on offense, he played well in other places, and that's what you want to see him do. That's like the key for him to be a success for the Blazers is to pick up pick up the pieces when he struggles and contribute in other ways. He absolutely did that. And I don't think the defense was that far away from what we will see the Blazers play defense this year. Not identical, but um, yeah, some parts that you could definitely see how this translates. So if you didn't catch this game, a couple others at least for you to catch Nurk playing later this week. Uh, check them. Check them. All right, second segment. Blazers added a new player. Olivier Saar signed to a uh, Exhibit 10 contract, a training camp deal, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. He's likely going to compete for a two-way spot. Let's talk about who Olivier Saar is in the second segment. Before we do that, I want to tell you about Built Bar, best-tasting protein bar that there is. Best-tasting protein bar on the market. They're great because they pack a punch. On average, a Built Bar, 17 grams of protein, 140 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 net carbs. So they're, they got the macros that you need. They're going to fuel you up with a whole bunch of protein, but they also taste great. My personal favorite is peanut butter brownie and cookies and cream, but they also got a whole line of puff products for those of you who are marshmallowy fans, like cookie dough puff, and there's a s'mores puff that's pretty darn good too with a little graham cracker and marshmallow action covered in chocolate. Whatever it is, go to built.com, find what you like, and order more from there. And while you're there, save some money using the promo code LOCKED15. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Still a pass, first point guard. And that's usually my intro to the third segment. We're doing it here anyways. All right. Blazers added a new player, Olivier Saar, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, is going to join the program, an Exhibit 10 contract, which is essentially a training camp deal. It's inviting someone to training camp with... Um, the, like there's some more details in it, but it's essentially a training camp contract and it's a way to kind of lock a guy into committing to training camp. I, I'm i in favor of it. A seven-footer, the Blazers need big man depth. And right now, the only other person, uh, this is the fourth training camp deal we've heard about. The Blazers now have uh, 18, if you include those guys uh, coming in on the roster. Uh, it's You can invite as many to 20 to training camp. I don't know if they'll get up to 20, but this is totally fine. You just have to cut down, you got to cut down to 15 and and two two, two ways by the end of training camp. So Saar, who was on a two-way deal with Oklahoma City last year, is likely to be competing for that second two-way spot. Blazers got a couple guards competing for that two-way spot. But really, this is for 
if I had to guess, because of the way the Blazers roster is constructed, they need big man depth. Like they just need big man depth. They've got Nurk at center. They've got Drew Eubanks at center. They don't really, they don't have anyone taller than six foot nine on the roster. Like they just aren't very big. They're really comfortable going small. So they're going to play a bunch of small ball. So even if whoever makes it um, as their second two-way guy, should they add one of Norvell Pell, a a 6'10 center or Olivier Saar, a 7'10, a 7'10, a 7-foot center. uh, Like even if they add one of those guys, neither of them are going to play. They're going to be a two-way guy. It's insurance, but you need the insurance just because the front line is a little bit, it's, it's, Shallow, right? Like they just, they're pretty shallow up front. So Saar makes sense. Saar is 23 years old. He started his career at Wake Forest, transferred to Kentucky and finished his career there last year on a two-way deal. He went undrafted in 2022 uh, on a two-way deal with Oklahoma City in which he appeared. In 22 games, including tw- including two starts, averaged seven points, 4.2 rebounds, just shy of one assist, 0.3 steals, 0.7 blocks. Uh, played like 19 minutes a game, uh, shot 57% from the floor. But the intriguing thing is a little bit of stretchiness, a little bit of stretchiness in his game. Olivier Saar was 13 of 29 from three, 44.8% from three. That's 13 made threes in 22 appearances. Like this is, um, there's some intrigue, right? Like if he can be big and physical or at least like big uh, and and with some added bonus of, of what big means uh, with some stretchiness, like that's really appealing, right? Like that's, you want bigs, particularly backup bigs. Like a backup big is not going to get a bunch of post touches. You're just not going to throw it into him unless they're like Ennis Cantor in 2019, where it was like specific why he was on the team, right? Like if you're a backup big, you are playing on, you know, a second unit that's going to be either the focal point where Josh Hart gets to run a bunch of the offense or a focal point where Amphrey Simons gets to run a bunch of the offense. Like you're going to, you're going to be a pick and roll guy. And in this case, a pick and pop guy. And I think adding someone with, you know, a 23 year old who, shot in limited action right like in in a limited number of attempts but 45 percent from three that's there's real appeal there a seven footer who can shoot it is really appealing particularly as like an end of the bench guy like i don't think olivier star is going to change the world but like as uh you know as as a second two-way contract this is appealing uh to, to be clear and i, I i've I probably have clarified this a couple times, so I don't want to clarify it here. Uh, the Blazers have 14 NBA roster sp- roster players right now. So that means they have a 15th open roster spot. The guys going into camp, Isaiah Miller, J- Jared Roden, uh, Olivier Saar, along with Norvell Pell, those four who are going to come into camp, conceivably, yes, they could compete for that 15th roster spot. But it doesn't really make sense that the Blazers would add another developmental part to the end of their bench. If they are going to add someone to roster spot 15, it's almost certainly just like like competitive balance reasons, just like if the team wants to be as good as possible, a vet, like a vet, they would add someone on a vet minimum contract. So if you're like, hey, maybe one of these dudes will make the 15th spot, I don't think that's a consideration. I think it's a consideration for who makes the final two-way spot. They've got those 14 roster players, an open 15th roster spot. They have the second, the first two-way contract is occupied by Brandon Williams. The second two-way contract is open. A two-way contract is for guys with less than four years of experience in the NBA. It does not, it specifically does not count against the salary cap. Play, those players can't compete in the playoffs unless you um, convert them to regular season, regular NBA deals. But like that's a long way away. If someone earns it, a la Trenton Watford, you can you convert it and figure it out, right? Like you make them give them an NBA deal, promise them some money and, and, and commit, make a commitment to someone who's earned the job and earned, earned a pay raise, just like Trent Watford did. 
I don't think any of these guys are competing for uh, for that roster spot. So let's so let's be clear about what they're competing for. They're competing for the second two way deal, and because of like I mentioned up front, there's while while Roden and Miller could conceivably just like you know you add talent right say these are clearly the best two players. Let's you know Miller's a six foot point guard and 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 Roden is a six six wing like. The Bla- that's not an area of need for the Blazers. The, the need is up front. The need is is f- forwards, guys who can play the big forward spot, power forward spot, and play center. Um, the Blazers are going to play a bunch of minutes with Jeremy Grant and and probably Justice Winslow at center this year, but you need size. This team needs more size. So it's going to come down to Pell and Saar. Uh, Pell obviously has more NBA experience with 40 games, like basically twice as much NBA experience, but he's also older, so Saar's upside might win out. Um, I think... While there are some other spots, like competition spots, like conceivably Josh Hart could win the starting role from Nazir Little, even though I don't think he won't. And, uh, you know, he'll be competing for the sort of the seventh, eighth minutes coming out of the training camp. This two-way spot is one of the most intriguing battles for the Blazers in training camp. Who wins it between, for my money, between Saar and Pell? This will be something to watch. Um, you know, for these guys, maybe like we won't, in the preseason games, the preseason action, we won't get to see him as much. But guys coming to camp early, practicing in camp, what they show on the practice court can help them win a job, win them opportunities. You get your foot in the door in the NBA, you get to stay there. It's a hard league to stick in. So uh, this will be really intriguing for who gets that final two-way spot for the Blazers and and Saar, a very, very, very legitimate chance. Like he fits, he's what they need. So if he's the who's who and they if he is who they go with it's because they needed him because they just they need more size on the roster all right i wanted to close the show talking about something i stole from isaac harris of locked on maps locked on maps is just a friggin' great podcast y'all uh if you don't if, even if you're not a map fan i think you'll enjoy it uh isaac and nick do such a good job it's so darn fun and they're so darn consistent with it but isaac tweeted out a question where do the Mavs backcourt rank in the West? How many, I believe his question was, how many backcourts are better than Luka Doncic and Spencer Denwitty? And my gut said, well, certainly one of them in the Northwest is, right? And then I looked at his mentions and they they weren't there. The Blazers didn't show up in the uh, there on Twitter. And so that that got me thinking like, okay, where would I rank the Blazers and the Mavs and the rest of the backcourts in the West? That's what I want to do to close the show is talk about where Amphrey Simons and Damian Lillard rank in the West. Join me there, won't you? Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You are still listening to Locked on Blazers. Shout out to Isaac Harris, Locked on Mavs, for tweeting out the question. Where do the where does the Luka Doncic, Spencer Dinwiddie backcourt rank in the West? I look through those mentions. I see a bunch of Mavs fans saying, hey, either first or maybe as low as third. I don't know. Like, they're really good. And I was like, huh, <laughs> that's curious. I expected to see some Blazers in here and, and, and or Blazer votes in here. And part of me, part of me believes that because uh, I am so accustomed to Portland's backcourt with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum being considered the best backcourt in the NBA or darn close to the best backcourt in the NBA. I don't think that is longer that is the outside perception anymore. And I think it's fair to say that Amphrey Simons just doesn't have his big enough body of work being a really, really good NBA player that you could say, yeah, he's like, this is where they are. 
It's a wait-and-see thing. Ant can go claim the throne. He was so darn good when he got the keys. They're going to give him the keys as the number two option on offense again. Like, he has a chance to just like go ahead and remind everyone, or for the first time, introduce himself to many people who maybe didn't pay attention to the Blazers who were scuffling last year. But the outside perception is not what it once was for the Blazers. The, the departure of C.J. McCollum, Damian Lord missing a year, and people kind of... Do they forget? <laughs> I don't know. Did are they? Do they think that Dame was like dealing with? I don't. I the perception around Dame is a little bit weird. I think for the first time in his career, he's truly, truly underrated. Um, he may have been underappreciated in the past, but he was the first first point guard taken in his draft class. He was basically a re- unanimous rookie of the year. Um, he was. He's been properly rated as good for most of his career. I think now, entering this season for the first time in his career, he is underrated. And that got me thinking. This question got me thinking. Where would I rank the Blazers in the West? And and if you're a a, a new listener, I'm not a like I'm not a big rah rah Blazer guy. In fact, most people think that I'm a hater because I'm kind of a pessimist at heart. But like this this got me thinking. I think there are absolutely two unassailable backcourts that are better than the Blazers, and I like I don't really think that they need. There's not much merit to argue here. Phoenix is a better backcourt than the Blazers. Chris Paul was phenomenal in the regular season last year, and Devin Booker is a rising superstar in the league. Like, that's, they're wonderful. That's probably the best backcourt in the NBA. Uh, even 37-year-old Chris Paul. He was he's, he was really, really good in the first 85 games of the year, and then wheels fell off for the Suns. You may, <laughs> may recall them losing by 35 at home in Game 7 uh, and didn't go to the Western Conference Finals. Woof! Um, but they did win the most regular season games in Suns history, and he was great and all those things. Like, he was fantastic. The Suns are the best backcourt in the West for my money. The second best backcourt in the West is, is still Steph and Clay. Clay is not what he once was. An Achilles injury, a torn ACL, two years removed from the game. He came back this season, and he wasn't quite himself. Um, he doesn't have those moments where... He is so deadly offensively that it's terrifying and you can't believe that he's the dude who plays off Steph Curry. He just hadn't had those. And he looks a little slow and he looks a little, he didn't look like what he once was on defense. But in the NBA Finals, when they needed him and they put him on Jalen Brown when the games mattered, he was fantastic. Final four games of that series, Klay Thompson was awesome on defense. He's not at his peak. And certainly Steph Curry is a 34-year-old getting older, but that's still right up there. I mean, it's, if they've fallen off, they've fallen off from the level they were at to whatever the next level is. Um, like they're still to me, Golden State and Phoenix are the two best backcourts in the West. Then it gets a little tricky. Uh, you know, you can go through the, you can go through the rest. Like certainly, um, I do not think D'Angelo Russell and, and, and Anthony Edwards are better than the Blazers. I think Anthony Edwards has a ceiling to be incredible, but I'm not even sure D'Angelo Russell is better than Anthony Simons today right now. I'm maybe just not a believer. Um, they were benching him for Jordan McLaughlin in playoff games. He wasn't even the best point guard on his roster. Get out of here. Um, so it, he's not in there. It, it's not Denver. Like that's, that's not what they're doing. Jamal Murray's really good, but that's, they don't have that, that, that second tier player. Apologies to Gintavious Caldwell-Pope. Uh, obviously not OKC, even as good as Shea Gilgis-Alexander is. I don't think it's I don't think it's either of the LA teams um, because of how far Russell Westbrook has fallen because of whatever, you know, Patrick Beverly's just, he's never been on that level. He's just never been that good. So he's not even in the in the conversation. Uh, the, the Clippers just don't have that many guards. So it's like, depending on who you consider a guard, I guess you could make the case. Like if you think it's Paul George and Reggie Jackson, sh- 
sure, I think you can make a compelling case, but like, is Paul really a two? Do they have a two? Who's the two? I think that's my problem with him is that they're not there. And so, um, yeah, like the Clippers roster's good, but I don't know if they have the best, best backcourt in the league. Uh, it's not either of the teams in Texas or either of the, of the two bad teams in Texas, San Antonio and Houston. They're not there. It's not New Orleans for, for me with C.J. McCollum and Herb Jones. Uh, I think you could debate whether Herb Jones is a two or not, but I think in their starting lineup, he's the functionally the shooting guard. Uh, that one is close to debatable, but for me, Dame is like clearly a step above those guys enough such that uh, such that it, it doesn't really matter. It's like pretty obviously not Utah with, you know, I don't know exactly who's going to start there, but it's not like with Michael Conley and whoever, whoever is the um, starting two there. I guess Colin Sexton is going to be the starting two there. Um, no, that is, that's, that is not a better backcourt. So really you're getting down to me to, to Memphis and Dallas, right? Those are the other teams that would be up there. Um, I think you could make a compelling case that 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 Memphis is better just because Desmond Bain has been better over the course of a full season than Ant has been, um, and he's a much better defensive player. So yeah, like and John Morant is like MVP level. Um, he's he's really good in and and ascending. So I think you could make a case that the Blazers are certainly behind now. We've as we go through this exercise behind Phoenix, behind Golden State, and and probably Memphis. Although that's there for me, they're ahead of New Orleans, and then it's the Isaac Harris's question. Where does the Mavs? Where do the Mavs rank? And I think this is curious because I will just throw my cards on the table. I'm not really a Spencer Den- Denwitty believer. I just don't think he's very good. Um, not that he's bad. I don't mean that by the by any means. But like, he's he's a he's a creative passer with some good scoring chops. But his his just his lows are low. He's really inconsistent. Um, and when he's good, he's like, oh man, Spencer Denwitty's awesome. But then his lows are his lows are are dramatic and loud to me. Um, but Luka Doncic is like one of the five best players in the NBA. And so like anyone across from Luka is going to be a really, 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 really good backcourt. So I'll say to her today, and you can forward this one to Isaac Harris. Forward this one to the good folks at Lockdown Maps. I think the Blazers have a better backcourt than Dallas because I think Damian Lord has being. I think people are forgetting how good Dame was when he was healthy. Sure, he has some defensive limitations, but his offense was at one of the five best offensive players in the NBA, an offense all unto himself the last time we saw him healthy. And Anthony Simons has the potential to be, to rocket into like that sort of, you know, top, I mean, for my money, he could be one of the top 10 players at his position pretty quickly. Like he's that good. I think he could be that good. And I think that class puts them there. They haven't done it. The argument for them is they haven't done it yet. They haven't, is that we haven't seen a bunch of ants, you know, only a third of ants minutes through the first four years of his season has, first four years of his career have been next to Dame. And Dame's minutes, um, you know, and Dame just didn't play very well last year and then he was hurt. So it's been a while and we haven't seen it. So I can understand why people wouldn't see it, but I still think it's the top five backcourt in the West. I still think it's arguably the fourth best backcourt in the West. I think if you really got pinwheel colored glasses on, Rose City colored glasses on, you could make a case that they're the third best backcourt in the West. I probably have them more at four. I have them in that four or five range, probably four just ahead of Dallas. Um, part of it is because I, I think the Blazers are like a tier above New Orleans, and I think they're a tier above whoever you consider the second other the other guard in, in with the Clippers. I don't think other teams really have a case for it. That doesn't mean that they're not good. It just means that they don't necessarily have a case for it. So yeah, I think after all this, after the dust settles and the Blazers come back with a backcourt, a new look backcourt of people you're familiar with, I think they're still one of the top five backcourts in the West. I still think they're putting themselves in a position to be right there.
still pretty darn good. I'm excited to see it. That's going to do it for today's show. Got more shows coming later this week. Make sure you're listening. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube and on wherever you get podcasts. Tell your friends to do the same. Whenever we got shows, make sure it's your first listen. Whenever you see it pop up in your feed, make it your first listen each and every day. Tell your friends about the show. That would help. That's, that's how people find out about podcasts is word of mouth. So if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Maybe they will enjoy it too. I appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.